this is actually the second interview the Balonic Pilgrims ever recorded. And we have been sitting thinking that it wasn't recorded for whatever reason. We weren't happy. And we recently went back and had a listen, and it's an absolute cracker of an interview. Do you know what? Well, you know what happened, right? So there was two things. The first was that um, if you remember the first the first couple of interviews we did, it was just me doing the interviewing, and the glory days. You, day, you weren't actually <laughs> before things went horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so uh, and the second thing was. Um, if, if I have this thing that happens sometimes when I listen to things and I think about them and I, I go away and I leave them for a while. And I had in my head that we had, um, like you say, that we had sort of misrecorded it because we'd only literally that week had bought the gear. This was the first interview we did with, the, with these microphones. Um, and then I went back and listened Dom to it. And I was like, let's not just run over that <laughs> little bit. Dom will definitely think on something. Well, it's good while. to think on something. It it's is. important to evaluate things carefully. And I went back and listened to this. And I was like, that's, that's a bish bash bosh. There's no messing about. It's brilliant. All right. I so thank you, Ado. Yeah. So who's our guest? Ado Barker. Yeah. Ado Barker, whose name comes up so often as one of the key musicians um, in the in the whole Australian scene, actually, mm. um, David mentions him. Kate definitely. Well, he plays in uh, Trouble in the Kitchen with Kate. Yeah, and he uh, he came in. I don't know if you remember if you if you listen to Kate Burke's episode, you'll have heard her tell the story of Ido playing a reel that was this. I don't know this igniting force in, in Kate that made her realize. Oh. I, w- I want to play that. That's the music I want to play, yeah. or or some of it anyway. You know, so uh, great story. So that's th- today's guest, Ido Barker, and we're we're just totally delighted. So, so we've kind of come up to a bit of a milestone for the Blarney Pilgrims. We now have over twenty four hours of content on the internet for free for anyone to go and listen to tunes by some of the oh. finest. Like seriously, like you can just dip in there and you can hear some. Amazing players. It's it's brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant. And the only way we can continue to do it is for you to, to back us, to become a patron. And so many of you have, and thank you so much for doing that. But we know how many people listen to the show each week, so we know there's so many more people out there that could. In saying that, look, we understand not everyone has the means to do it, and we don't want to put the hard sell on you. But if you do have the means and you feel like you get something from this, please chip in $2 a week. That would be so helpful for us. As I've uh, gotten the habit of saying, it does go a long way to explain to our wives why we're missing <laughs> so often. Uh, really, that's it. The website, as always, is patreon.com forward slash Balarney Pilgrims. And you'll find all this stuff in the show notes. It's always there. You've got the device in your hand or you're sitting on your computer. It's right there. Just click it. Just click it. it. Click it. All right, let's get into it. All right. Enjoy. So whatever way you want to start, I mean, like, um, the obvious question is, how did you first connect with Irish music? Which is probably, um, should be an easy question, but it never is that easy somehow. Um, so I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of music, not not being played, like, on instruments, but both my mum and my dad, you know, real music lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of what kind of stuff? Well, uh, it, really, my mum, pretty much, other than a couple of uh, Simon and Garfunkel and Steel Ice Band records, but really, she 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 was into like classical music, especially choral 
music. And my dad loved loved jazz, listened to a lot of jazz. Um, he didn't have a lot of Irish music, but he had had a few records. You know, that was the sort of stuff that was floating around. There was, it was like, I remember having this experience when I was in my teens and I was listening to um, a lot of American music like soul and funk and, and hip hop. And I was listening to these sort of funk bands from the sort of mid seventies. I remember saying to my old man, like, how did you, you were alive. Like, how did you miss this? You know, because there was like none of that in the house at all. Uh Um, But yeah, he particularly loved um, like Oscar Peterson. um, So a lot of sort of piano jazz, uh, Stefan Capelli on the fiddle. And um, so I had a fiddle in my hand from, if, if I remember the story right, and I was, I reckon I was about eight or nine. My mum reckons that maybe I was even a wee bit younger, but I just remember my mum saying to me, um, oh, they're starting these violin lessons at the local school of music. It doesn't matter if you're left-handed or right-handed because I'm a lefty. And um, I guess maybe she'd always thought, you know, if you're a lefty, you, you couldn't play the fiddle. <laughs> or, you know, no one just played, so who, who knew? <laughs> yeah. um, in saying that, though, she did she did play play a little when she was at school, I think, in the UK. But uh, yet, yeah, sort of never pursued it. So that was in the background, I think. You know, like music. They were both music lovers. Um, my mum had had a taste of playing some music when she was a youngster, and had done everything she could to get out of it. And so, you know, then when with her kids, and she's like, "You're going to thank me for this one day." Did you? Did, was there any part of you had the same instinct to get out of it as any way you could? Cause... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like me and my brother, I've got a younger brother. Um, he's two years younger than me. And he, he actually started playing music before I did because he, he had a teacher, a kindergarten teacher, who brought a cello into school one day and he just went, I want to do that. Whereas for me, it wasn't like that at all. Like it really was kind of being dragooned mm-hmm. into going along to these classes. They were group classes and and going along to, and you know, practicing. Like I had absolutely no desire to to practice and i think i had you know was able to sort of pick things up pretty quickly but just didn't sort of resonate with me at all um enough to at least kind of pick pick things up then there was i I played i met a guy i had a teacher actually when i was at school of music who also played played jazz and had learnt some um fiddle from stefan grappelli in london during the second world war he was this fellow wilf jones english guy and um so i that was my first kind of inkling of like, oh, here's some music that I lo- like to hear and that maybe you can actually play mm-hmm. on this instrument. Then we went on a family trip when I was probably 12 or 13 to the UK and yes, you know, where my mum's from originally. Right. And um, in the course of the trip, dad had picked up a couple of tapes that we listened to in the car. One was a Kaylee band tape. And then the other one was of this group called Narfili which was, I don't know, you guys might have, might have heard of them, but um, Thomas O'Connor. I think, yeah, from Cork, yeah. So there was, there was pipes, fiddle, Matt Cranach on the fiddle, um, the pipes or whistle and fiddle. And um, anyway, that really, like, struck a chord with me. And I remember sort of making these tentative attempts to sort of try and learn a few tunes off it. But, like, I was book-learned, you know, like gone to classes they were these group classes and sort of experiential you know like he was sharing stuff with other with the other students right 
but it was all reading from notes. So that was the only way I kind of knew that you would learn music. So, you know, I was probably about 14 or 15. I thought I had like sort of actually wouldn't mind learning some of this stuff. So I did, did the obvious thing, like went and try and found a book. So what what books were you... Um what books were you looking at? I also want to talk about Stefan Grappelli. You know, oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, well, yeah. It was so a, what was the what was the music the the Irish book that you? Yeah. Went? Well, there was a it, it was kind of a seminal one, which I reckon a lot of crew, and I, I don't really know the background of it, but a lot of crew in Australia, maybe not now, but probably I would have been the last of the musicians that kind of picked it up, possibly. But it was called Beg, Borrowed, and Stolen, right? And it was just this sort of loosely bound book with about i don't know maybe 50 or 60 tunes in it that have been sort of written out and a whole lot of jigs and reels and and other bits and pieces and uh yeah sort of seemed to make sense oh you know you want to learn tomorrow's tunes you you get a book and of course like i had enough kind of training or whatever that I could sight read it and play it. To right. It sounded so. You sounded, had the me- you had the mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so I, do you remember any tunes from that? Do you want to do a tune oh, from that? Bit? Do you remember anything off the top of your head? Yeah. Look, I pro- I, yeah, possibly I would. I'll say 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 this, but yeah. like right from the beginning, I thought, ah, oh, that just sounds like. And we'll talk about. I guess we'll talk about it more. But how your ear changes as you actually really start to engage with with music. But like, I thought what I was playing out of the book sounded like what my maybe i was hearing on the nafili tape it was like it was nothing like it okay so you know? so what's the difference right you've, you you you're learning the notes yeah um you've got the you've got the motor skills clearly you've been playing for a lot of a lot of years even at this point you've been playing a lot right yeah so what's what's missing the music like what was it, all I was getting out of the notes was like the absolute literal reading the notes. The absolute literal. You play an A followed by a B followed by a whatever. You know, it's like you, you could just have like a machine that did that. And what what was the the thing that started once once I started to realise there was a bit of a gap between what I was playing and what what I'd heard. Then that was that was where all the music kind of started you know all the all the feel all the nuance of it the rhythm the un, the kind of ambiguity of it you know what you see in it written down in a book is literal and because it's written down you sort of you take it as literal whereas what you hear is actually much more kind of it might be one way the first time you hear it, it might be another way the second time you hear it you know it's like much less certain you know that's the, the um, that notion of ambiguity is is a um, that's a beautiful notion in the context of music, right? Because yeah. it because it does go part way to explaining what the the mystery is of yeah, yeah. of performing and playing with other people, right? yeah, and, yeah, and and how it sort of resonates with you know your everyday life and yeah. your, your moods and your the the place you're in and the room you're in and yeah. what's what happened that morning and yeah. you know every you know it's it's like there's an ephemeral kind well, of thing it, in there so. i guess in that aspect of it sort of ties as well to the this sort of feeling you get when you hear like why was it i mean i was like a 15 year old from canberra i mean on the face of it you think like the blandest city on the planet it's not there's more going on there than maybe meets the eye but like 
you know, you think Canberra is just like this sort of cultural, you're not going to have, have sort of ambiguous music coming out of there. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd get on the bus out, uh, after school, like we go into town, like in Civic, like the middle middle of Canberra. And, and like I was saying, like I, I listened when I was a teenager, like to a lot of, lot of yeah, I was still listening to jazz and soul and hip hop and funk and whatever. And a lot of my mates were kind of into the same stuff. And then we go into town and there was this crew that used to busk sometimes in the, in the middle of Canberra. And um, my mates would just rip, you know, rip the piss out of them. They just thought it was hilarious, <laughs> right? They called them the I Need a Buck crew. And I'd be standing there just like with the hairs on the back of my neck, just going up, just like so excited by hearing this music. Like, how do you explain that feeling kind of thing? Anyway, I got to know all those guys, you know, once I crossed over and, and then I was actually this. playing the music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like it's just just classic. It was almost this like secret, you know, it just stirred it was really stirring and I'd certainly heard music but that had made me sort of feel hyped up or whatever but there was listening actually hearing Irish music played I don't know it's just stirred all these other feelings that I couldn't quite put into words so ambiguity let's have a tune yeah or a couple of tunes and then um oh yeah I tell you what I could play this I mean look all of this has changed beyond recognition over over all the years that, of course, that I've yeah. kind of played but remember there was this one tune and I suspect it was in um it might have been in that big, big borrowed and stolen book but anyway it was an early tune that I kind of that I learned called the golden keyboard but I remember those guys the crew who were busking were actually a band called the Tinkers and there was a fella Sean Keenan who's still around in in Victoria these days who kind of had pulled these young wild guys together to play music and I remember going they'd launched an album at some point and went and this this when I heard this tune I went went home after this gig and spent all night trying to learn it yeah it's a reel called the golden keyboard it's pretty pretty well-known tune I don't know where I've tuned this up anyway hopefully it'll be close enough It's a golden keyboard. Yeah. Was there somebody who helped you kind of steer your way into this then and, and, and into 
finding the the swing in the in the music um look there were there were numerous people in different ways uh-huh. yeah but um you mentioned Kate Scott to me yeah yeah so Kate had a quite pivotal role um and it was just from a you know a sort of a single suggestion that she made to me but just the the backstory to that was yeah so my brother played the cello and at some point he'd um uh he'd met this this woman Kate Scott who was played Scottish country dance music she played the fiddle and they she really liked the idea of having a cello in this Scottish country dance band and for the odd gig she she was keen on having a second fiddle as well so um yeah I, I sort of did did a, a couple of um couple of dances with him and and like you know I was reading everything off the dots and and whatnot and I think Kate was kind of quite keen that she might have found a a raw potential like Scottish music recruit but she realized pretty quickly that you know obviously my heart was with the with the Irish music and I don't know whether I'd asked her maybe about how 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 I should go about learning it or she she just um saw that I needed a a push in the right direction but yeah she just said look the one thing I was always told was if you want to really learn how to play the the Irish tunes forget the books go and get yourself a tape recorder and she sort of told me where there, there were a couple of sessions in um in Canberra and you know she said oh you could go and meet so-and-so there and introduce yourself and anyway that was kind of the the so catalyst where you, really where did you go what were the where were those sessions um the two sessions in canberra that that were happening at that time was uh there was one on a on a sunday evening at a pub called the phoenix in the middle of town and there was another one an, another bar called filthy mcfadden's which had a session i think on a friday night mm-hmm. and so i sort of started started going into those so can you paint a picture for me of, of one of those sessions like who's there what's what's the bar like oh uh, look it was a feel for that the phoenix was right in the heart of Canberra, but unless you live there there's no way you'd know it was there it was just like this little bar it was in the middle of town but sort of you could easily walk past it and it was run by an irish couple it just had a feel of a kind of pretty loose wild little establishment but was sort of cozy at the same time and um, this session they had on a Sunday night, there was a, a fella um, named Pablo, another local guy but whose who's folks played music, who played the fiddle and was actually a lovely fiddle player. But he, it was his shift on a Sunday night working working the bar. And um, so there's a, yeah, a group, a bunch of musicians, some who'd been playing for years and people learning like myself who'd go in there on a Sunday night and just play till the wee small hours. Um and um, occasionally, you know, sort of towards the end of the night, Pablo would sort of, you know, stop serving and come and sit down and play a few tunes. And, um, yeah, it just seemed to be like I I was that excited about going into the in the Phoenix in, in, in the early days that there were times when I'd, I'd run from the house in Ainsley, which is just out of the centre of town. Like I was just so stoked <laughs> to be going in to play tunes. Like Hi. that's... You know, it's 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 funny to kind of this think of that. This is like when you were 16, 17. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, by that stage, yeah, I must have been sort of 17, 18, I'd, yeah. I'd say. Um, and, um, yeah, runs up. I, I, I kind of remember the same thing, you know, like yeah. just running down Rathlin Road to get to the yeah. pub because we used to play on a Friday night. And just, yeah. It was like, I mean, I didn't have anything else going on. Yeah. <laughs> Social life anyway, so that yeah, was it. Yeah, yeah. There were people in there playing who, you know, still friends 
now not all of them sort of still live in 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 Canberra but did you have any trepidation about going in there and working your way into a session or did you feel like you were you had enough going on that you that you could join the stream look I I suspect maybe I didn't know enough about what I was getting into to feel any trepidation about it but then was probably also fortunate enough that um you know they were pretty tolerant mm. crew because no doubt like and what I had had a couple of mates so I was saying my brother had a, had a re- his really good friend Benno um who was getting in starting to get into playing as well and that and so ultimately you know my brother's best mate actually became really good mates with him as well but you know we were probably stomping all over it you know like <laughs> just kind of doing all the wrong things but somehow I, I don't know maybe we'd like having enough cop on sort of soon enough to you know not not mm-hmm. piss anyone off too much yeah um hopefully um and did you and that did but, you and benno then start to click as players at some point together yeah just... i think oh look it, it was just there was a common interest you know um early on benno wasn't he did, wasn't playing a melody instrument at all actually he was playing a playing a, a baron ultimately developed into this fabulous flute player um but you know you would sort of go in there i mean i, I remember this feeling as it became clear to me that um you know a microscopic portion of this music like that you couldn't that you, like what what you contain in any book was just just a speck in actually how sort of broad and deep this music was like there was sometimes it was this sense of on one hand rolling this excitement of like discovering all the thing but then also this totally overwhelmed feeling of i'm never going to be able to learn all the tunes or I'm never going to be able to sound like that or, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then, but I think there was enough kind of momentum that sort of kept going. I mean, and I think it's, it's, it's oceanic when you think, think about it that way. It's like, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But as a young, as a youngster getting into it, I think, um, I don't know, there's probably a fairly fine line between having enough confidence that you're going to do it, but then also being, able or prepared to kind of take on the odd kind of friendly word of advice or whatever. And so there was a mix of those two things happening. Pat Lyons is a guy, Pat lives in Casamain these days, played the pipes and the whistle. And I remember Pat sort of, you know, he'd, he'd give us the odd word of kind of, there was certainly encouragement, but, you know, advice and stuff Mm -hmm. as well. And, um, you know, it might be, oh, yeah, that's an interesting key for that <laughs> tune or whatever. And, you know, you'd sort of go back and kind of, you know, find out what, where, how that tune's usually played or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that thing, I mean, it, I think it was tapping into the social aspect of it as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's, yeah, it is that like recognition of kind of every, everyone's got this sort of common compulsion really to be to be playing and so um i i quickly just got deep into that world you know um and yeah just music music was kind of the main thing for a while there 
Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about this is kind of skipping back a bit, but I wanted to ask you a wee bit about um, um, playing uh, Scottish music and then um, moving into Irish music. I mean, it's, it, the the differences between Irish music and Scottish music on on one level they're they're very obvious in terms of form and and rhythm and so on. But I, I wondered, like, are you able to articulate more about the distinction between those? Because because I, I always find music, Scottish music, I, I lived in Scotland for 20 years and, right. and it never really got to me the way that that Irish music was able to for yeah. obvious reasons. Cause it, yeah. but, um, but now when I hear Scottish music, it, it, it does do something for me, but I think it's really because my dad used to listen to Jimmy Shand. Right. Um, on the yeah, radio. it's got all and sorts so of it's all in there, so yeah. it's kind of a nostalgia yeah, thing yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, Look, I I don't really know. Maybe the only way I could put it for myself is that, and I'm not saying it's not there, but I don't I don't hear the kind of mystery in Scottish music that I hear in so many different kinds of Irish music. You know, like it just doesn't doesn't sort of tweak the same sort of you know chords yeah in you know inside um and i yeah but i knew that i mean that was what drew me into playing was hearing jigs and reels and um um yeah it, so what is that i i don't know i can't can't really explain it i mean to me um what's going on i yeah I, Look, it's it's impossible to say without sort of treading on. No, lots and I'm not. Of, I'm not trying to be toes, really. about Yeah, it. no, but I, and I don't yeah. mean it at, yeah. at all in that way. It's it's. Uh, but I think that's the best best way I can express it. Really, is that? Yeah, I sort of hear the mystery in the Irish music, and I don't hear it in the same way mm-hmm. in the Scottish stuff. That said, I've, I haven't dived into the Scottish stuff in anything like the same way. So. Yeah, I, it, it always seemed to me, and, and from a, um, and I'm not especially educated about it, but it it always seemed to me that that Scottish music had a had a certain um, um, what would I say, not regimentation to it, but it it, yeah. always, it felt more regimented yeah. to yeah. me, and yeah. and less elastic and less. Yeah, um, and and again, that it's not to say that it, that that elasticity wasn't there. It's yeah. just like I, you don't I, hear I, it. I wasn't hearing it that, in you, the same way. It just like if so that's that you know takes the words out of my mouth, really. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, that sort of yeah, the elasticity, the the um, what went you know say briefly you know playing the odd gig, you know playing Scottish country dance music to me it, it, it had, seemed to have much more in common with classical music than it did with the music that was kind of stirring me up mm-hmm. yeah. it's funny even as you say that I think about the beginning of uh, my uh, when my dad was listening to this Scottish music there was they'd always start with that big chord at the start you know the yeah right right and it's like everybody's you could, you could he, he, he used to listen to this show called Dance the um Take the floor on Radio Scotland, right, right? And you could hear this, and you could, you could hear the hall just from the recording. You could hear these people on a wooden floor just kind of waiting for the, yeah. And you don't get the same 
I don't think you get quite the same declamatory kind of thing at the beginning of an Irish yeah, yeah. thing. It's I'm, like, okay, everybody ready? Everybody? Yeah. yeah it's like, I mean, look, over the years, you know, I mean, not not really as much as I should have, but like sort of, you know, playing for, for Irish, like for set dances and, and that sort of thing. Like I see in that so much the wildness that's in the, that I hear in, in Irish music. And, you know, if, if, if I stumble across kind of Scottish country dancing or so, I, I don't again it's the dancing I don't see it right there, but <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah yeah so that's funny so so you want to do another do you want to take yeah. out another tune and then yeah we'll, uh... yeah yeah I tell you, how about um I was just thinking yeah Pablo Pablo Chopin there in the um in the Phoenix like I used to you know Pab would come and sit down in the session ultimately and he was probably the first fiddle player that I'd be sort of sitting next to and going, oh man, I want to, I want to play like that, you know. Like so, really, that sort of sense of kind of osmosis, like trying to just soak, soak up whatever was coming off his fiddle. He was a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. fiddle player. Um, what what did he have in his in his style that was um, tone? Uh, just the rhythm. He, he had had this sort of. Um, there was a real sort of weight to it 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 was the tunes had a that there was a there was an authority in it um sounded like he you know sounded like he was inside the music um and yeah just he just had a wonderful way of getting around the around the tunes and yeah there was probably i learned you know we we probably traveled some of the same path later on just in terms of sort of where where i went when i went to, to ireland which was sort of coincidental but um but yeah i was thinking of pablo and one of the big tunes that he used to play which is called the oak tree um which yeah you know it's, it always feels weird just sitting in your lounge room yeah producing I know these things out of thin air but hopefully i'll get get through it but yeah <laughs> but if for some reason when i think of pablo in those days this is always the tune that i think of yeah Thank you. 
Beautiful. So that's Still, the oak tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, thinking just while I was playing there, I was thinking back back to those kind of camera days, and one of the just that thing of like what you where you start and what you learn. But our you know with Ben Owen and and a couple of others with Marty, my brother. Yeah, when we're thinking about how do you get into playing music, you think, oh well, you you obviously thing is you start you form a band, you know. So we did that very quickly. Like we didn't know anything, <laughs> and you know, so and probably some, most of the first music that we were listening to, Irish music that we were listening to, you know, with a view to you know when we we're sort of playing and trying to learn stuff would have come, been coming from bands, and right. so that was one of the the things that you know going to the Phoenix there and and and. Picking up the the odd bit of advice from from yeah crew like Pat and, and Pablo or whatever was and who oh, were the other bands where the music happens who like. were who were the other bands that you would be oh it was just to. whatever you could get on on CDs really yeah. obviously yeah. the Bothy band and right. Dervish we got got right into Dervish right pretty pretty quickly but yeah but you know we did also thankfully we were sort of steered as well into like, well you know that's one way of playing the music but it's sort of not where the music lives but so, so ultimately you, when you talked before that tune you talked yeah. about um the artificial artificiality of what we're doing here like we're sitting across from each other you're the only one playing yeah i mean yeah. we're kind of yeah yeah um but it but it gets to the the nature of um why i wanted to do this project was was really in part to sort of explore the notion of friendship and the bonds that are created when you're playing together yeah right yeah and that um it's just a beautiful there's a there's a kind of love in there you know when you're yeah. when you're playing with somebody you know yeah for sure well and, and so like there's a real chemistry in it uh, that you, you you know it's amazing actually how how often you can kind of pick that up but but um, yeah, when when those bonds are deep with with the crew that you, you play with, it's it's not easy to kind of replicate. Yeah. So yeah. so when we were talking about um, and you were talking about learning from music and then learning by ear. Yeah. The thing that popped into my head was I don't know if you remember Stefan Grappelli did an album with Yehudi Menuhin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, remember yeah. that? My, my dad had that one, Jalusi, was it? Yeah, I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and and I remember listening to that because I'd seen this, um, I'd seen this great Stefan Grappelli concert on TV where he was playing with Martin Taylor, the Scottish guitarist, right. and and another guy, an Irish guitarist, and. So that we had this album in the house, God knows where it came from. Right? Yeah, it didn't come from my mum or dad, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but I put it on and I thought this yeah. is going to be incredible. And of course, <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same thing that we yeah, were talking about. Yeah, like yeah. Um, apparently, yeah, Capelli like wrote all his solos, right? Like, he wrote his solos, right. and yeah, right. then like Yudi just like played the shit out of him. But as a <laughs> like concert violinist, yes. Yeah, yeah, just it's a, it's a very peculiar, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, egg of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, uh, oh, Yehudi, I think, um, yeah, made a habit of that sort of thing. A bit. I remember seeing a um, a video or something years and years ago where he was um, he was with uh, Frankie Gavin. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, there's this video where Frankie's kind of playing this great Irish film uh, yeah. from. Is he from Galway or something? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like Frankie and a, like Frankie's that first album with 
uh, in the Danana days, like the first album, just him and Alec Finn, hard to surpass as a as a as a fiddle album. But um, yes, yeah, so, and he's just like this at his best, you know, this just incredibly wild player. And um, yeah, and then Yehudi trying to get his way around this hornpipe. <laughs> it is a classic. You're like really, if you wanted to show it to to um, someone's like, well, what's you know. What's the difference in mentality between these ways of kind of playing the same instrument? So, yeah. so you do a lot of teaching, right? I used to. Yeah, right. it's, that's an interesting question, actually, because I'm I'm really I've I've been out of teaching teaching the fiddle for for quite some time, but but poised to tap back in to it, partly for the teaching, but also for what it gives back. What does it give me. back? It's just a very reflexive sort of process like it, it um the best thing i find for about about the teaching you sort of you know uh, leaving aside the pocket money is the that like you've got to be sort of re-engaging with how how you how you play the music yourself to to teach it's not sort of like just a set and forget oh yeah you do this and this and this like it i, I tend I, t- I tend to teach that way like i kind of talk a lot or mm-hmm. maybe too much but like it's about uh, as 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 it's happening I'm trying to get back inside how I approach the music you're not as well you're not worried that you're taking something apart that you won't be able to put back together again um <laughs> yeah yeah actually sort of yeah but it, I don't know you just sort of have to I always think find that would, line yeah, yeah yeah I mean I can never explain it I can't yeah so how do you how do you approach edging somebody towards that? Because I guess it's probably quite uh, I don't know frightening is too strong a word, but it's yeah, it's no, daunting. It's exactly, it's exactly the word I'd I'd use actually, um, because it is it's it's a real plunge into if if you're used to just learning from dots, it's a total plunge into the unknown. Because I, I think about. Um, those very first violin classes that I went to in, back in Canberra days, someone I knew from then got in touch with me. This is quite a few years ago now, but just got in touch with me you know, on Facebook or whatever and said, oh, you know, don't know, you might not remember me, but we, we did those classes together. I did, I remembered, remembered um, who she was very well. But she'd gone on and pursued classical violin training, you know, gone to music school, gone to the con or whatever, and at the time was playing in a in an orchestra professionally and she told me she had this experience of going visiting friends where um and this friend of hers had a fiddle and she had a young daughter who and said oh what would you mind like she'd love to hear you play and she was there she's a professional musician she didn't have any music and she said she felt absolutely paralyzed she thought I actually can't play anything and I'm sure she could have but it was more that sort of just that mental headspace of if I don't have music in front of me I'm not a musician anymore and so she and she she'd I think had had some family background of her old man um, played melodian and a lot of Australian music so she sort of knew was familiar a bit with with Irish music and Irish Australian music and um, anyway, I came for some lessons and it really was, she was a fantastic player, fantastic technically 
and had a lot of music inside, but it was, yeah, the whole thing was really just about kind of coaxing out the confidence to trust what your ear is telling you and just start to believe your ears, mm-hmm. I suppose. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of very small small steps stuff. It's often a challenge. Um, I mean, I've done quite a few, over the years, done quite a few kind of workshops and things that, like if I teach, if someone was to come for a lesson, I do it all, it's just all by ear. Um, but, you know, if you do a, a, a workshop at a festival or something like that, you, you never know kind of who's coming and it can be really, really intimidating for people to come and for there not to be something in front of them to rely on. And, um, but I think, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's somehow you sort of have to coax people just to, to the precipice where they just go, okay, I'm, I'm hearing it. And, um, yeah, I think that's the thing with starting to teach or help someone sort of get confidence. They just have to start listening in a slightly different way. So I wanted to ask you then about your own learning and particularly what you picked up when you started going to Ireland and what what you pick up there that you that you weren't necessarily getting from here but maybe we could have a tune first yeah you want to yeah you wanna, something that yeah that think. makes sense in that yeah. context I don't know if that's does your style correspond to a particular style of Irish playing or, or playing of Irish music would you uh, say I suspect it doesn't but I can't say anything definitive really about my own playing I, I, I know I love the West Clare particularly West Clare what players the, so what's who, who are the West Clare players that you oh playing? like say um, the the older older fiddle players like someone like Bobby Casey you know um, try and think of, think of a tune okay that, yeah. um, oh, this, this one actually is Bobby Bobby Casey tune called The Porthole of the Kelp um Thank you. 
Beautiful. Yeah. Um, Strong minor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I just sort of, really by co- coincidence, more than it, like not pff, sort of pre-planning or forethought, but fell into the people and places that were kind of right, really, when I, when when I went, went when I went over there. So you there. went, so you spent a lot, it was at Ennis? You, you yeah, so I end, ended up, but like, I, really, like, I, I went over there, like, I had one night booked in a and b in Dublin on the night I arrived. I had a backpack. It was like a classic sort of cliche, you know, Aussie arrives in Ireland with a backpack and a fiddle. <laughs> that was it. And That sounds like a lot of fun. Though. And someone I knew, someone I knew, I still can't believe I did it this way because it's, it's so contrary to how I would usually do stuff. But like, I don't have a single number for anyone, <laughs> nothing. I mean, I didn't know that many crew over there at the time, but there'd been been some some um, musicians who I'd met who'd spent a bit of time in Oz and whatever. Um, but yeah, so there's, there was a, a woman named Carol Leader who lived over here for a bit, and I knew Carol was living in Ennis. And like after my you know one night in the B and B in Dublin, like I got on a bus headed for Ennis, booked into the hostel, and then went and found a phone book and. Tried to look. I don't even know how I got in touch with her, but like it was just completely kind of just go with the flow type stuff. Um, I mean, people were so good. Like it was just like, oh, where's the Aussie going next?" Kind of thing. It was like, "Sure, come with us. We're going off to this festival here." I met. I remember meeting um, meeting Jerry again. Jerry was my like Jerry magic. McKeague. Jerry McCaig. Jerry was. Um, now it wasn't actually that I met Jerry again in in that first period when i was there but i was in the crosses of anna during willy week and there was this completely different vibe one night in the crosses like it was just like amped and and someone someone was chatting to is like oh well you know it's getting towards the 12th like all the all the crew have come down from from the north anyway i got <laughs> chatting to this time. guy you know he's from belfast and well he wasn't actually from belfast but he was living in belfast and i was chatting to him, he's like, oh, geez aren't you no, a guy from Belfast who's living in Melbourne for a while, this fella, Jerry McKagan. Uh, this guy goes, hey, you see that again? I was like, I said, oh, you know, Jerry McKagan, he's a doctor, plays the guitar. He's like, and he goes, hey, boys, this wee Aussie, he knows Jerry. He knows big Jerry. <laughs> and it was just like this, like, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the club, mate. And it was unreal. It was like this, um, so this was this uh, fella, Kieran Maines, who was a flute player from Marafelt. In, in Derry and just yeah fell in with this crowd and anyway everyone was like hey the wee Aussie or oh we skip come here and and so people just like it's like you were saying like that thing of how you just bonds form through me but like people were so unbelievably generous just right from right from the get go and it was just about just opening their arms and just like oh yeah sure I'll what are you doing now? Oh, we're heading up here for the weekend or, or, or whatever. Like, oh, there's a lift going out here. or So I was able to sort of follow my nose a lot. But Ennis sort of ended up being, um, for one reason or another, the place where I kind of went back to and I, I found found some work there. And so I spent ended up spending a lot of time in Clare and, uh, you know, just made very deep 
attachments mm. to the place. And, and this was sort of late 2000s-ish? This was early 2000s, early 2000s actually, 2000s. yeah. Was, and and, yeah. and what, what, are, what is the, um, aside from the exposure to to maybe more music more often from more different players, I mean, does that sum up what's coming into you when you're there? Like, the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you know, just the crack, like it was, you just couldn't replicate it. Um, just full kind of immersion, really. Um, you know, it was the music, but it was just everything that happened around it. So how do you feel after having this amazing experience and you're kind of fully charged with this stuff and then you're coming back to to Australia and you're coming back to Melbourne, I guess, at that point? Mm. Yeah. Were you ready to come home? When I came home from that stint, yeah, I was ready to come home. But the trade-off that I never sort of knew I was making was, uh, and it's probably it's less so now, just because I've I've been, I haven't spent that time that length of time over there again. But it, it will always be there that you, you sort of slightly I've left a bit of myself there, and so. Home's never quite been the same since, you know, and 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 in a in yeah, in a way, in ways that it's, that are, it's hard to kind of really express. But there's there was just a tapped in there in a really deep deep way, and um, so that, and that's about like the friends I I, I made there and I still have there, um, but it's also about just yeah, like being so, feeling so inside the tunes um that it, it's just different here you know so you've got a different relationship to it here um it's maybe that's about stages of life as well like not being as immersed maybe as as i was back then but um yeah and there have been times since where what's felt really stark is if i've gone over there for a brief briefer stint and then I've come back and I've just been playing and playing and playing and I come back and it's like, like it's like the momentum's just gone. You know, when I, when I was living in Ennis, like it was five nights a week, easy, five, six nights a week out playing, you know, and it was just, the music was constant. And um, if I go over there, I was last over there in 2016, I think, and I was just there for two weeks. I went over with, with Benno and, and my very good friend Dougal Adams we had we went up and played at a little festival at Strokestown and we had two weeks we spent a week kind of roaming around a little bit and went to Strokestown then then it was a week or 10 days I was back in Ennis and just full bore and um you know it's tunes it's pints late nights just the crack and I felt like holy shit I went straight back (laughs) And I was kind of glad to know that I could just go straight back into that mode uh-huh. um, where there's like no consequences. It always amazed me that the crew around me like led pretty like normal functional existences. <laughs> they could do all that and then actually still go to work. Like I was working in this cafe in Ennis when I was living there that um, was run by two musicians, an American guy, Henry Boehner from Nashville, who had fallen in with... Irish crowd in London and then married uh, a woman who's, whose ties were back in Milltown Malbay and 
So anyway, they, they must have recognized it in me that this is a guy who's going to be pretty ordinary at kind of a 9 a.m. start. <laughs> um, thankfully, they, they kind of kept me on, but I tend to start at midday, you know, uh-huh. so you could sort of be out playing and carousing or whatever and then sort of still turn up for work and be reasonably... I, th- I thought I held it together pretty well, but I suspect <laughs> not that well. But anyway, it's just the rhythm of life, my life over there was completely different right. as well. Yeah. You know, the thing is, as someone sort of traveling over there and sort of tapping in, you see a lot of different ways people do that. And I'm not, it's not to say that there are better or worse ways of doing it, but people are looking for a lot of different things, you know. And I think um, when I went there, I was very much going over as an Aussie. Who, who played Irish music. Um, I, I, I wasn't going sort of expecting that I was finding my, my real home. I met plenty of Americans playing music or not playing music. It was like, it was their like ancestral journey kind right, of thing. Yeah. You know, but there, there wasn't, I, I didn't sort of really have anything like that, but I connected there in this way that, you know, there was nothing conscious about it. It just just kind of happened um yeah um but yeah back to that being sort of sense of being an australian who played played irish music i loved that i'll never forget when i first landed over there and maybe um maybe there was a part of me that thought oh you know there's this tune called this and maybe when i go to that place and i play that tune it's going to feel a certain way and like all my associations with the music were of like a house in Northcote, Basing Street, where we played played tunes. It was like you'd, I'd hear, you know, I might be sitting, maybe that first week I was sitting in Milltown, Malbay, this tune came and what I was thinking of was Billy Moran sitting in the Normandy or like, so all my associations with the music were actually like really local, they were, you know, in Melbourne and Canberra and festivals over here. And I really liked that. Um, and I still do, that that's where, you know, that's where my music was formed. And so it was never sort of a matter of like, oh, well, you know, I've got to, I've got to get out of Australia to go and learn the real music. Yeah. But there was a sense of deep, really just full immersion going over there that um, has always meant that when I came home, Australia was always a bit different. I mean, if I'd travelled to... Azerbaijan and spent a year there Australia would have always been different when I came back as well so you know that part of that's just um just that thing of traveling and leaving you know investing yourself somewhere else for a while so so when you were playing then um when you came back and you were playing with Trouble in the Kitchen yeah um, yourself and Benno yeah uh, Ben Stevenson um, yeah Ben Stevenson yeah Kate Um, Burke Right. Joe Ferguson. And so that's a kind of gigging band? Yeah. Right. So In a very loose uh, how do you, sense. <laughs> well, well, what I was wondering about, yeah. you know, you talked there about the navigating the, the playing and then earning a living and mm. kind of going to a job and stuff. So, mm. so how did you kind of manage that when you're, when you're back and balancing those? Um, yeah. Look, we made a call very early on with Trubs that we weren't, really going to be a working band right and that wasn't because we didn't want to be a working band but we knew that in order to be a, a working band in australia like we'd, we'd be playing pubs and um 
playing this sort of circuit of gigs that really we we weren't fit for like you know we couldn't just play our own music um so for, right from the beginning really we were just like okay we're, we're gonna play the festivals and that's what we loved that was why we had a band because we wanted to go to festivals and you know have the crack and we enjoyed playing with each other and that sort of creative process or whatever mm-hmm. um but it was quite clear that we were you know it was never going to be a kind of like a full-time going concern um in that way um so yeah when we were you know in our late teens and early 20s like we could just do that like you know had bits of pieces of work on the side probably had sort of you know uh commonwealth music scholarships um in the form of a fortnightly activity test for for a while you know did our time on on new start or whatever and on the dial and playing gigs wherever we could and you know studying maybe going to uni or whatever so it sort of was just bits and pieces of everything for a while and then it that changed you know as we got got a bit older that um and i was probably the last to oh joe's sort of still floating around a bit but like um as people you know want to start settling down or whatever then it was like ben i was the first i think to get like an actual proper job where you know it was on a salary and you had to turn up (laughs) yeah had to turn up and um you know gradually you know we all did that to to various kind of degrees and in the meantime the kind of i speak for myself like where the band where playing that kind of music sat was really different for me um probably after probably after i sort of spent that big stint in ireland that really shifted it because i guess um increasingly it was about like the music existed on a much more intimate kind of level that you can't it's really hard to capture in something that's so orchestrated you know that you and the magic of trouble i think has always been there's like a pretty high degree of chaos is left in there like we just like set it off and it's it sounds pretty chaotic and it feels fairly chaotic but but it's not that instant uncertain chemistry that you have when you just sit down with your mate playing or someone you don't know and you're playing and so i think that's my my music over the years has become sort of more intimate in in that way like what what the music the where i feel like ah oh, this is this this is what's really coming from from inside um so that probably changed my relationship with playing in a band as well mm-hmm. um which isn't to say i, I you know when, when we do get together and w- when I was kind of laughing about it being a kind of gigging band I'm like you know we did actually play a couple of gigs last year like we made an album and played a couple of gigs that's all we did um, we might not have played a gig at all for a couple of years before that like and that's why it's sort of still going is because we just go okay when can we get together what do we want to do and we'll get together and do the odd thing but yeah so so, so, so music and and you know that band is sitting in a in a, in a space where it fits yeah. in your life. Yeah. 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 What um with with I mentioned that I was over in Ireland in 2016 with Benno and 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 Dougal. So we've got a little trio as well that we do some stuff with and Dougal's kind of been my probably main sort of foil in the last few years is yeah, we we you know great buddies um who 
just play would just play really intuitively together he's a flute player and um so yeah we with with benno we formed a just a bit of a it's a very informal sort of trio but we we've recorded and and do the odd gig playing that but that really is totally formed out it's not really arranged it's just formed out of just the chemistry that mm. happens between us mm. um so that kind of it gels quite well with that i don't know slightly kind of quieter more intimate way of playing music yeah, yeah. so do you want to do another tune yeah 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 no do worries you, um oh, what to play the thing that's really really got me going in the last while is this uh a recording of a a session uh, maybe from the late 90s that's uh, uh, it's probably gone it's probably all over the world like but um it was recorded in Gort with uh Kevin Crawford um I think the, James Cullinan's probably on on there on the fiddle maybe Tony Linan maybe but so play, some players that I just absolutely love hearing and it's just so it's it's just a session so it's just mm-hmm. the music just pouring out um so that's something i've been listening to a bit i seem to, seem to be playing a lot of reels but yeah sure that's maybe it's just a day for reels but um there's been some of those mm-hmm. that i've been you know on, on my brain constantly in the last while so i might, might play one of those yeah, yeah. So we're sitting in your living room. You got a bike here. Yeah, that's not Sean Kelly. Is it, it is actually Sean Kelly. <laughs> There's a yeah. picture of Sean Kelly on the on the mantelpiece. I was looking at that and I was like, 
I said, oh my God, that's Sean Kelly. Yeah, some, yeah. Some Harry. I think he went, he, he went up there initially as a bit of a piss take, but he's, he stayed there. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, um, I tune into the, you know, the pro cycling on Eurosport and he's mm-hmm. often provides the, the expert comments, which it's, yeah, it's often hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Just he's his, a, he's uh, hard... Sounds like he never, never left home. Kind of right, yeah. he's hard though, isn't he? He's like, oh, he's hard, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 You have to hear these stories about him, you know, cycling and throwing up over his shoulder. And oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of... No, I don't reckon they made him made him harder. He's got no sympathy either for no, he's the, no, the, no heart the for the loser. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He has a sort of um, he's a Roy Keane kind of yeah uh, aspect. Yeah, him, some mer- certain mercilessness about him, but yeah. There's something else I was thinking of as I was playing this. I'll. I'll... Edo Barker, who took God, a chance. God love him. Chance God love him. <laughs> he didn't ask any awkward questions when I phoned him up and asked him if he would agree to be interviewed. He was so gracious and so generous with his time. 
he didn't ask anything awkward like what is this thing Do you, is this actually gonna go on air at any point um, and at this stage we had no idea how any of this works yeah. many of you might be thinking you're still done <laughs> so thanks again Edo Barker thanks Edo good luck hi my name is Rosa P- please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you